On this episode of Industry Relations, Rob and I speak about the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week for organized real estate. This is Industry Relations, a podcast that's at the intersection of real estate and technology from an insider's perspective with Rob Hahn and Greg Robertson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is obviously your co-host, Rob Hahn, notorious ROB. And with me is my fearless uh, co-host, the uh, fabulous, fabulous Greg Robertson. <laughs> How the hell are you, Greg? Hola, Rob. Uh, doing good, man. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit... I'm three three straight weeks of traveling and i'm about to go my fourth week next week to uh t3 summit so um yep. yeah i'm a little bit uh road worry right now but um yeah I'm, I'm ready for discussions for sure i know i'm glad you're home this week or at least today because otherwise we'd have to do some remote setup and shit like that and can't have that amazing <laughs> studio microphone you've got in front of you you know well, yeah i actually i changed i don't know if people are going to notice but i changed my camera I'm trying some new things here, and I've got now we've got our headphones on because yeah. we've been having some echo problems. So hopefully the sound and the the production quality will be a little bit better for yeah. everybody here. Although honestly, man, I think we're having a little choppiness through the internet, but that's I don't think yeah. that's anything you can help. So it is what it I is. But that uh, all day with my Teams meetings and Zoom meetings today, so hopefully yeah. it's just too much. Yeah, it's Southern California internet. That's what it is. You know. <laughs> oh, California! <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, that's you should. You should look at the Starlink. I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Elon satellite internet's pretty awesome at my cabin. You know, <laughs> very. Cool. But we have some things to discuss before your trip out to T3 uh, before mid year next year, uh, and uh, it has turned out to be like legal week over at Notorious. Anyway, um, weren't you at Riso this past week? Yes, I was at Riso this week. Right. Did you guys talk about these cases that just came down? These were sort of surprising. That, you know. uh, a little bit. I mean, they, they kind of rolled in. I mean, it was three really that hit. So um, I just, uh, I think on the last night, because um, I left there Wednesday evening, um, mm -hmm. it all, it kind of all, all of them kind of came to fruition. But um, so we didn't really talk, not a lot in the sessions. These are more kind of the geek squad there. But yeah. um, I did talk with a couple of MLS execs about it. And it's, you know, the consensus is, um, not a good week for NAR, not a good week for the MLS industry or organized no. real estate, really. Yeah, yeah. So let's go through them real quick. Right. The first one, um, and I don't know the third one, so maybe you'll mention it. The first one is that the uh, in the Sitzer versus NAR case out of Missouri, uh, that class has now been f officially certified. So it right. is officially a class action lawsuit. We're probably looking at hundreds of thousands of people who sold their home. Um, but you know, we don't know the exact numbers and we won't know, I guess, until things have all shaken out. Um, and so that the class was certified, but as I wrote about it, man, just for classifying a, you know, classification, the class action piece, the judge did write up quite a bit, you know, and, uh, like what he wrote wasn't, wasn't great, you know, for any of the defendants. So that was one. Um, surprisingly, a lot of folks are like still like, wow, I can't believe this is happening, such a disruption. I'm like, well, we've been talking about this for the last, I don't know, five years, three years, or whenever the lawsuit got filed. Um, so I suppose it's worth kind of discussing, touching on that. The second one is the one where I just, I was a little surprised it happened. 
and that's coming out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a kind of a big deal, where they reversed the dismissal of the PLS lawsuit against NAR and three MLSs, right? And that was surprising because at the trial level, it was just dismissed, you know, and like dismissed with prejudice, meaning you can't refile this thing. This, this was, you really have no case here, so get the fuck out. Like that, that's what the trial yeah, court said. Yeah. And it was total victory. And then, like, out of, to me, it felt like it was a little bit out of nowhere. The Ninth Circuit comes in, reverses that dismissal, remands for, new, for trial, but again, along the way, it just like laid out these arguments. And I'm just reading through this like, wow, you've essentially made the case for the plaintiff's lawyers here. Right? It's just, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say bias, but like, let's put it this way. If, uh, if the defendants, so if NAR and MRED and Bright, and I think CRMLS, if they lose at trial, like, I guess you could appeal to the Ninth Circuit. But it's pretty clear where the Ninth Circuit stands. You know, it's one of those things. You might have to take it to the Supreme Court. Uh, so those are the two main things that I saw. What was, is, was there a third? Uh, it was PLS. There was a, the, uh, oh, Rex. It was a Rex Oh, thing. that's right. Right. NAR's uh, counterclaim against Rex got thrown out. Right, right. I mean, which is, not, which is less of a big deal. Correct. It, on the grand scale of things, it wasn't. Correct. It was as big a deal as the other two, right? I guess Correct. to me... To me, it, it all becomes, I think, going back to what you said about, you know, we've all known about this is going to be happening, right? And it's like the, the slow moving wheels of justice, right? So yeah. we, 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 they've been out here, the mo all these different cases, and we're just starting to see these mo this movement here. But I mean, you know, you know more about this, you know, being an attorney and everything, but I mean, it still seems there's a lot of, a lot of legally, legal, gameplay to be keep going on here of appeals and this and that and it's taken a long time just to get to this point i mean i really don't see any you know any real action or decisions still not this year maybe maybe next year end of mm -hmm. next year i mean it seems like it's a slow moving process still yeah so um but you know i did i won't i won't name the, the exec here but I think the way they put it was like, you know, I thought I had seven years. I might have three, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? As far as like in, in the things are now, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm also hearing from a lot of people is that, you know, um, and reading some of the stuff, I, I listened actually to your podcast with uh, Steve um, Murray. Murray, right, yeah. from Real Trends, is that we're starting to uh, accept the fact I think that you know, maybe compensation is going to get changed mm -hmm. and that we're all going to have to come up with a way of justifying ourselves, right? And I think mm -hmm. this is a point you're making. Um, and it, it, maybe it's long overdue. So maybe, I don't know if it's the end of, in, end of real estate, end of organized real estate, end no. of um, It's just the end of a period where, you know, at this point, this kind of uh, buyer's compensation was basically guaranteed and it's not guaranteed anymore. And we're, we're going to have to adjust. Everybody can adjust just right. to that, right? One thing in your podcast that I was kind of in, um, uh, intrigued by, you know, Steve was talking about how, you know, he was meeting with some other people from around the country, around the world, sorry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it seems like we think that it's all, oh, you know, it's everybody pays less in commissions and it's, 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 it's a better situation. And, and, and to the contrary of that, he said that the people that he talked to, and I think they were from Italy, 
Mm-hmm. Sounds like they're paying a lot more in commissions than right. we are here in the States. So, right. And then there's other things like Australia, which I just started to learn that, you know, 30% of the transactions there in Australia are auction based. That's right. Right. So there's a lot more, I think, as we start peeling away the layers of the onion, there's more out there than just this narrative of, oh, well, the rest of the world does it differently and they pay less. It's not quite apples to apples. So, uh, yeah. No, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah. <clears throat> we, 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 we're, you know, as we open our eyes even further, we're learning more for sure. I, I think, I think that's true. And so the big question I suppose is, cause I've been talking about this for so long now, you know, and, um, I think in my latest post, I talked about how I've been telling MLSs and brokers and agents to embrace like the prepper mindset, right? Cause it's not saying that we want this to happen. We're just saying that if these things are going to happen, are you ready? I don't know if they are. Right. And that's, that's kind of the big question now. And I think as we go into next year at mid-year at T3, I guess the thing that I'm real curious about is, are people going to have real conversations about moving this thing forward? Or are we still going to kind of, you know, sort of assume or pretend that NAR is going to win, so it doesn't matter, there's, there's no reason to pay attention to this, or just sort of complaining about how stupid the lawyers and government is? Because I'm like, yeah, they are stupid. They, I mean, it's terrible, but then change the fact that it's going to happen, right? So I guess right. that's my question for you. Do you, how ready do you think the industry is? I don't, I think, I don't think they're ready, but because I think up until now, I mean, now, you know, this has been a gradual process, but I think we've all been kind of inching towards acceptance here. It's like, you know, what are the seven steps of, of grief, right? Of grief. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was you know, one of your things in the past, denial, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. So we're, we're on this, like almost a step of, uh, of acceptance, and once we like, okay, you know, something like this is going to happen, right? Then we're starting to look at different things, uh, you know, out there to like, okay, well, what does happen? So to me, you know, this, and again, it's it's depends upon the severity of where buyer's agent compensation goes to, right? Sure. It, does it become an optional thing? Is it just verboten? Which I, I just I can't see. I think if I was going to put like a blanket over, I think. It's going to, there is going to be commission compression. Mm-hmm. And I think what that is going to do naturally is it's going to lower the number of agents. All right. So I think at a very, at a bare minimum, I think the industry has to kind of start thinking about there's going to be substantially less agents out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, let's, let's just start there. Okay. So if you're a brokerage, think about that. If you're, if you're a team, think mm-hmm. about that. If you're a franchisor, mm-hmm. Think about that. If you're NAR, if you're an MLS, think if you're an association, I think if, if, if there's any first steps that I would do without having to get in all the complications of, okay, uh, uh, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? Just go from the mindset of like, hey, there's going to be less agents out there. And mm-hmm. then and then start that, start from there. And then you can go into maybe a little bit of deeper things of what, what exactly, who that is, what kind of agents are they? What is the experience like? You know that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So if I was if I was consulting with 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 people, I guess you know you do this for a living, but I would just start from that. I think that's easier for people to kind of grasp in their minds than like keeping track of these lawsuits and blah blah blah. Just think from the from a standpoint that there's going to be less agents. How does that affect your business? Okay, so let's do that. I mean, you're you run a uh, SaaS company that's right. kind of you know relying on the number of agents, and you have a certain total addressable market. How how are you guys thinking about this? 
if there are 20%, if let's say the right, agent right. population drops by half, right? Half of the agents are gone. So NAR is not 1.4 million, it's 700,000. Okay, how does that change how Cloud CMA or Lone Wolf or whoever, you know, would think about this? Would you just okay, raise well, prices? Vendor, yeah, from, from a vendor, vendor side, do you just double prices? No, I think, um, first of all, I think there's, you know, you, if, if, if we're going to assume that a lot of that comes for buyer's agents, right. I think all of us have to look at our, our tool sets and say, how can we bring more value to our buyer agents so that they could show more value to their customers? Their clients. Mm -hmm. Therefore, like, um, you know, keeping the game here, like justify as much money as they can from that side. Right. So I think mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a, from a product standpoint, you got to look at your product set and say, okay, how can I help my business agents, sh sh you know, show more value to their clients. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I have to look at my, my, um, it might be a good thing to have less, but um, have more, maybe the retention goes up, maybe the churn lessens. Mm -hmm. um, we've always talked about this, um, raising the bar type of situation, right? In a sense, will this like raise the bar uh, in the fact that we, you know the, there might be less, but they're they're more sticky, right? Uh, on those things, are there yeah. other op other business opportunities? <clears throat> you know, one of the big things I've been talking to is um, and, and doing some interviews on is the rental pace because right. there seems to be a lot of more agents that are now getting into the rental space. Because there is some compensation there. Uh, it's overall housing that's the problem right now. There's not a lot of inventory. Mm -hmm. And I think in the past, a lot of agents would poo-poo kind of the rental leasing business. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Um, maybe, maybe that kind of fills in a gap that we, we traditionally in Resi wouldn't look at, you know, as far as, as, as far as rental. So different, not only product sets, but different kind of uh, inventory that mm -hmm. we're, we're doing, whether it's product management or, or sorry, um, um, property management and or um, just a different, uh, you know, refer, you know, some sort of like compensation for uh, fulfilling a, you know, a rental um, yeah. uh, out there. Um, but no, I mean, you know, our, the TAM would be shrinking, right? So, you know, that's going to so, result in less people and lenders and you know, all that for sure. So I was thinking about writing a post recently, man, um, with the title that speed kills, right? Okay. Because, you know, and, and I was going to have some fun with like, you know, stuff I know from the gun community, like, you know, rifle bullets, why they're so dangerous because they're so much faster, right? So people want to think about like these big guns, big calibers. Nah, man, it's not the caliber. It's the speed, right? It's the speed that kills. And I was thinking about like trying to analogize it and bring it over to this, which is there's no doubt in my mind that if we had the time, we, the industry, we can adjust, right? We can figure out, like, like you said, rentals, we can figure out, all right, the TAM's going to be, you know, half of what it was before or whatever the scenario is. If we have the time, then we can adjust and figure it out. The problem is if we, if things happen fast, do you know what I mean? If the disruption, it's not the nature of the disruption or what the disruption is necessarily, it's the speed of that disruption happening. That's going to be the problem, right? So, for example, this cooperation compensation piece, if we have 10 years to figure this out, I think by the end of 10 years, we'll figure it out, right? So if we had 10 years, then by 2032, we'll have you know made the adjustments and we'll have slowly transitioned to whatever that future is. The issue is if it happens over 
nine months, <laughs> then no one can adapt. There's, there's just no way, right? If it's over a year, if it's over two, three years, then, then the issue becomes one of how fast these things are happening and are we then able to adjust and adapt to that speed of change, right? So what do you, th- I mean, <clears throat> what's, the, what's the limit? Like, what's the tipping point? Like, how quickly do you think we as an industry could adjust depending on how fast the disruption is? Yeah, and we've talked about this before. So what I would say to that is that th- you know let's just ta- let's just talk about a world where there there really isn't a lot of um, commission left from the go to the buyer's agent, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we already have models in real estate. We've had models in real estate that account for that. Redfin's a model like that. There's discount brokerages that figure all that stuff out into the way that they run their business. So I don't think we're starting from a dead stop and like, oh, we've never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. There's already there's already a lot of lessons in there. There's already business models that are built for that. So I, a lot of other entities are just going to have to take those lessons and and maybe you know cross pollinate people and processes of things to kind of learn that. I think, yeah, but uh, would, so, so, but how fast though? In other words, like let's say. Tomorrow, like May 1, right, the FTC comes out and says, okay, that's it. No more commission sharing, right? Right. Like, is it by Christmas time, we'll all have adjusted by then because we have these, you know, sort of lessons that we can learn from? Or is it more like it's going to take us three years? It's going to, you know, like, how long do you think that would be? Well, I, I you know, if I got to believe that the government actually, I mean, anything's that any of these kind of major changes, they don't put a decree a lot of times that it happens and it's got to happen tomorrow. Right. It's right. Right. It's right. Always, they always give some sort of lead time to an industry, especially that something's been so ingrained as right. this. I think, I think whatever, if it, the ruling comes, it is not going to be like, Hey, at the end of the year, Hey, I think they're going to give some lead time. So I don't think it's going to happen. If it does happen, it's going to happen like that. Right. So mm-hmm. you got to, you got to count on that a little bit. And so then to me, it's, as we talked about in the beginning, how long are these lawsuits going to, you know, it takes to kind of do that. Then, okay, then it goes DOJ. They go back and forth. Maybe an NAR doesn't come in to save the day. Then they make a ruling and then mm-hmm. it's going to happen. You know what? So I, you know, I don't know if that's a, if that's a two-year window, if that's a five-year window. And to, to what your point is, yes, at 10 years, we could probably figure it out, but maybe six years we could figure it out too. Right. I mean, you right. know, I, it's hard to say, but I don't think any of this stuff is going to happen. It's not like, uh, you know, I guess the biggest example I was t- talking about last time where I was flying to Inman and on the way there, you know, the, we were watching direct TV and uh, watching Fox news and at the bottom of the thing, the client said United Airlines drops mask mandate along with other airlines. Right. And right. Boom. I took the mask off and the pilot said it was okay. Um, I don't think it's going to happen like that. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, a much bigger situation than that. Right. So it's not instant. And so I, I think that's kind of the thing I'm curious about. So that's on the commission side. The second thing though is, a, is much more interesting in a way, right? Basically clear cooperation is about to be declared illegal, at least in uh, the ninth circuit, right? At least. And it's probably going to be more. How quickly can we adjust to that? Because the reason why I bring that one up is because that's a new rule that we put into place in 2019, right? So it was like we had the industry working for 30, 40 years one way. And then because of things happening off market, MLS, all this stuff, NAR comes in and puts in this rule. 
And here we are three years later, and I, I think it's about to go away. Is this real easy to adapt to? Because we've, you know, this because it's a new thing that we then had it's, to adjust it's to. Easier, it's going to yeah. be easier than what we, as far as the the commission thing. I think the compensation sure. piece, right? Yeah. So, what do you um, think that I, looks like? But, but to me, it's almost it's a it's, and again, we've talked about this before. You know, we've been on such an up cycle as far mm -hmm. as the in, industry is concerned that pocket listings are still a fad. They're still a thing. But we both know that the market's going to turn at one point. And so all these clear cooperation, you know, putting listings on, you know, holding them back and everything are all just going to go away because the market's going to turn anyway. So mm -hmm. it's going to be almost like a head fake. Let's say that they do declare it illegal. Well, okay. The market would have declared illegal, would be declaring it illegal anyway if we turn to more of a, a, a buyer's market than a seller's, right? So right. we're going to have to, the, the industry itself would have to kind of face those consequences anyway, just for market conditions, right? So I don't, I don't look at that. I don't look at that as being a big deal. Now, if, now if, if it goes the way you think, and, and you said here on the podcast before, you think this, this kind of, <laughs> this supply problem is going to happen for, 50 years or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you know, we'll go back to it. It'll be easier than having to deal with the compensation issue, but we, we've already kind of dealt with those things and there's going to be new problems that pop up because with technology and the way people, mm -hmm. you know, do things and, uh, uh, portals and brokerages wanting to have, um, differentiation as far as on their inventory is concerned. Well, you know, that's, a, that's gonna, that's gonna be uh, a lot more complicated. Right. But, um, I don't think it's going to take much for us to go back to the way it was, right? Um, easier than compensation, I guess, at least. Okay. Yeah, I, th I think I'll buy that. I think it'll be more disruptive, though, because I think it's going to happen faster. And like I said, yeah. I think the speed kills thing, right? Because what I look at it is we had to put that rule in because they were noticing, MLS were noticing, what was it, like 2015 when we were at that Inman and um, – uh, Jim Harrison from MLS Listings, I, I very distinctly remember, he, right? He was on stage, he was on a panel, and he was talking about how 35% of all the listings, all the transactions in his market were done off MLS. And I remember being blown away, like 35%, like, holy crap, what the hell, right? Uh, and then we started to see it more and more, right? So practice that was just really focused and concentrated on like high-end luxury for the longest time went mainstream, you know, because of technology and because of business practices. But, you know, I don't think, I, uh, to me, it wasn't a, I mean, that, yes, that's true. But, you know, you got to talk about, you know, whatever, to me, what the big worry was, was discrimination, right? And, sure. you know, these exclusive uh, buyers, like, well, I'll find the right buyer for you. You know, with mm -hmm. my exclusive network. Oh, does that mean it's uh, only white buyers? Mm -hmm. Is that is that you know? I mean, so there there was a a housing discrimination component to this clear cooperation policy, and I think that's what actually got it over the 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 finish line as far as getting implemented because of those type of, type of concerns. Not for the fact of like we're trying to protect the MLS industry. I mean, it was just I, I just anytime you kind of like have I hear the words exclusive or you know, um, we're not going to let everybody know. I mean, it's just, it's inviting that kind of practice. And, you know, again, 
it's not always the case, but I mean, there is, there is, there is, I think some valid fears of that type of thing of, of consequences happening, whether they meant to happen at all, whether the person meant for it to happen. I think that could be one of the consequences. And that was one of the reasons why now you could also have consequences that, um, that are also equally or, um, also, also kind of, uh, problematic right that, that that on the other side of things right so i just i just don't want to say it was we, we only put it out there because we were just noticing that people weren't putting stuff on the mls i mean it wasn't an mls survival issue i mean not at all i don't no? think so i totally think that's what it was yeah well, you don't think so i think it was two things i think it was mls survival and i think it was compass right uh, so well, I Compass, think Compass wanting to differentiate their inventory other than, than everybody else, yeah. Right. right. You know, they, Compass had this plan. It was like, you know, strategically, you know, programmatically pre-marketing, you know, two weeks or 30 days, whatever, and then private uh, networks, uh, as well as sort of like top agent network and some of these higher end agents saying, you know what, we, we don't want to talk to the hoi polloi. We don't want to talk to the masses. The only one to talk to, you know, the top ten percent of agents and their clients and whatnot. Um, so if those, if, so the rule that we put into place was to deal with those two issues, right? So my, I guess what I'm looking at is okay. If that rule then gets struck down, then all of those things that led to that rule being implemented, they're still in place, right? Like all of those motivations still exist. Compass is now the largest, you know, brokerage in the country. Back when they were doing it, they were still like number five. Now they're like, okay, great, you know, back to business. And we should see more of this, right? Or are you saying that by that time, the market will have turned, so we're not going to see it? Well, I don't, I don't think the, mar- I mean, I've, no, you know, the timing is, I, I've been wrong on when the market's going to turn for a long time. So I don't think it's going to be that case, I, but I will turn. And when it, when right. it does turn, naturally the market's just going to go back. Well, shit, we got to put this, I'm not going to save this listing and only show it to 10 buyers instead of 10,000. I'm going to put this on the MLS as quickly as possible because things are taking a lot longer to sell. This is a market condition now. It's just a weirdo market condition because we've been in the seller's market for so long, exasperated by the pandemic because of this for supply. Um, it'll sort itself out when it turns, but you're right. People are if if it gets struck down, they're going to go back to their old ways. I just, I really think from, you know, really, it bothers me from uh, the fair housing standpoint. Because, sure. I, again, I don't think that Robert Refkin, you know, has any sort anything in his bone in his body that really wants to, like, keep housing from minorities. No. Or, or elderly or the, whatever. But, you know, he's a smart guy. You can see how only showing to the right buyers and my exclusive network can lead to those types of things. Um, that might not be enough to, to change his mind on doing those things, but it's not, it's not such a, uh, uh, it's not such a far to connect is all I'm saying. Um, okay. So you're saying that the way we're going to preserve something like clear cooperation policy is, from a racial angle, right? It's that it's just a fair housing. housing. Not, it what? couldn't be. It, maybe it's not race. Maybe it's because of age. Maybe I mean, when you're when you're narrowing down who you're showing, you know, property to, right? Maybe it's somebody with disabilities, mm-hmm. and that that house had a wide hallway, but you know, it went to some rich guy who was going to use it for rental. 
that leaves him out of it. Maybe it's, you know, some a young family trying to get into a, a neighborhood with good skill schools, but no, there, you know, it, it, he, that, that family didn't get even a shot to look at or bid on that house because it went to some, some exclusive buyer. Right. Um, or maybe, maybe it is a rate. I mean, it could be a, a rate, any sort of discrimination. It could be a, uh, an elderly couple. I mean, it could be a lot of different so, things. It's just, you narrow when you narrow it down when you're saying i'm not i'm only going to show it to these people and not these people i mean that you know i don't think it, it's not such a stretch to say that that could have consequences as far as uh, housing discrimination i think okay so from that if we do it's just koopa the logic you know for a fact that right now <clears throat> one of the biggest challenges over the last two years in the housing market and i just saw a report I think from Adam Data, they just released a report about Q1 of uh, 22, right? And what they said was the percentage of buyers who are FHA is the lowest ever, right? So you, <clears throat> right now, we're keeping it at the showing houses level. You and I both know that right now, right now, we have listing agents saying, if you are an FHA borrower, don't even bother making an offer. You have no shot, Right. We have agent after agent after agent posting memes all over social media talking about how, you know, we love these soldiers when they, you know, went off to fight on our behalf. But now that they're back, the VA loans are a piece of shit and they, they don't get any recognition. They, you know what I mean? Like, we've heard that. Is this going to have a racial angle? Because I'm willing to bet that FHA and VA borrowers probably are more disproportionately, you know, minority than conventional or cash-only buyers, Right. Do you see it extending to that point where you say, you know what, because of fair housing, you have like if you discriminate on the basis of FHA or VA or anything like that, then that's a racial problem as well. Well, wasn't it part of like Biden's executive order to, to keep some loans, you know, a, a certain percentage of those loans be targeted towards? I don't know if it was military or. Or our minority groups. I yeah, yeah, no. I, so though, there's there's all sorts of mandates from the yeah. supply of loan side, right? What yeah. I'm saying is now we have homeowners and listing agents refusing to look at offers that include FHA or VA, right? I mean, you could I mean, argue by the same token that's that's racial discrimination, right? Well, it's it's I don't think racial discrimination or just they're not doing their fiduciary responsibility by looking. Well, it's at a fair everything. housing. Well, is I don't know. Like, is it my fiduciary responsibility if I'm the listing agent, right? Like, isn't it my fiduciary responsibility to say to my seller, listen, the cash buyer is going to close way easier. There's a lot less risk than an FHA borrower. Right. Right. But but that assumes, like, um, <clears throat> there are some sellers out there that um, might, you know, who are former military or former whatever that maybe want to give that want to give that type of opportunity to somebody that was in. In, in a like space themselves, right? I mean, Might not be, everybody, right. I mean, you know, not everybody's motivated by money. A vast majority are. I'm not, I'm sure. not saying that, but there are other things. But the other thing here is like, I remember, you know, just in being in sales and being in retail sales, like when I was younger, mm -hmm. you never knew who walked in the door by the way they looked, who was the richest guy. Sometimes oh, the wow. guy, the, the biggest schlub, he was the freaking, you know, Oh yeah, no man. I have I have stories like that from my days selling expensive men's suits at Bergdorf Goodman. Yeah. You know yeah. exactly like the homeless, the lady that walked in looking like she's homeless 
turns out, you know, her son that she was shopping for is a managing director of Goldman Sachs and came in and spent a hundred thousand dollars with me. Like shit like that always happens. So it's a mistake. Right. Let's go back to fiduciary responsibility. Maybe the guy is a, is a veteran. He's going to try to get it with his loan instead of anything else. But the agent didn't even have, you know, didn't even take the time to even talk to them to get more information out of sure. that, right? I mean, sure. And we don't know the specific, what I'm saying though is this, the idea that exclusive buyer networks or those types of things, right, is a fair housing violation, <clears throat> right? If we're going to say that simply because of the impact, like, hey, you know what? It turns out minorities tend not to be parts of these uh, high-end luxury exclusive buyer networks. So therefore, when you do that, that's a fair housing violation. I'm saying that logic, there's no, to your point, like Robert Refkin is not out there telling his agents, you know what, if they're black, don't take their, you know, like we know he's not doing that. There's right. no racial discrimination. There's no fair housing violation intentionally. I don't think by 99.999% of real estate brokers and agents I know. Right? I just, I do not believe that there's some sort of a racism problem like that in the industry, Right. What people are talking about instead is disparate impact, right? So even if you're not going out saying, you know what, uh, we're, we're not going to show this house to you know, minorities, it's just because of the way that things are set up, it tends to disproportionately impact minorities. I'm like, fine. But that logic then should apply to FHA, VA on the other side, right? Not just showings, but when you're entertaining offers. And now we get, it's like, that's the concern I have with it, right? If we're going to try and save clear cooperation, the base of fair housing, we have a whole bunch of other things we got to then talk about and deal with. That's our, you know, I don't know if we want to, right? That's some pretty ugly sort of corners going on there, right? Sure. That, sure. That's kind of what I meant by it, right? Things perfect for sure, yeah. Right. Because that's, and, and I think what my issue with all of the folks that raise like fair housing as an issue, you know, around whatever, I'm like, it, the minute we go down disparate impact, right, we, we're going to run some real issues that I just don't think we want to, right? Like I said, so Redfin got sued, uh, and I think they're still being sued for, you know, this sort of disparate impact fair housing violation because Redfin was not, you know, in certain neighborhoods, right, they, they couldn't, they were just referring those out to their partner agents, right? And it turns out the reason is because Redfin's like, we, we pay salaries to our agents. So unless a price is above a certain point, we just, yeah, yeah we, we just can't service it. You know? And look, I mean, you know Glenn. I know Glenn. Like, Glenn Kelman's out there. He's like racial justice warrior he's number one. Come, right? He's right. as woke as Right. right. Yeah. There's absolutely no way that Redfin was doing this or to discriminate against, you know, black people. Like, there's just absolutely no way. But the disparate impact, right? Turns out when yeah. you're unable to service people below a certain price point, that disproportionately impacts minorities. Yeah. All right, well, shit, if we're going to go down this path, like we got to then start looking at if you, how do you, then how do you live up to, how do you meet your fiduciary duty as a listing agent, right? And we're not talking about these cases where the, the, the seller's like, well, I'm a veteran and I will take the lower VA offer. You know, it's like, okay, well, as a listing agent though, your fiduciary duty is still to say to that person, you should take the cash offer from the white hedge fund manager. Right. Yeah. How in the no, world are we going to deal with that? It's, it's a slippery slope, right? I mean, you know, let's even go even further. I mean, you know, uh, 
the book the color the color of law right and how sure. minorities primarily african americans were denied home ownership basically de facto a federal policy yeah and yeah. and denied that that way of w- building wealth over time that's and right now come to a point where how far behind that is right and, sure and 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 you know the uh this fact of uh, some of these federal policies made it that way. And how do we answer those questions? I mean, it, it, it's, it's a slippery slope everywhere. Right. But, but let's not add to it. Right. Can we at least stop, you know, what, what's the first, what's the first thing you do when you're in a hole, right? And you want to get stop stop thinking. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, so this is what I'm getting at. I think, I think clear cooperation policy was not about fair housing. That's what I'm saying. And I think for us to make it about fair housing is really dangerous because then we have to extend that logic to all the other areas in real estate where disparate impact is going to create all kinds of problems. I think clear cooperation policy really was about a practice that was already, you know, that was a minor, small, tiny portion of like top end luxury celebrities, you know, the athletes, those people are like, hey, you know what? I want to sell my house, but I don't want people to know I'm selling my house. So can you kind of keep it private, you know? And we're talking about $10 million houses in Beverly Hills, right? So it was, it just wasn't something that affected the rest of the, of the industry. And we just kind of lived with it, dealt with it for 30, 40 years, right? Again, like when I first got into the industry, I remember talking to people at Hilton Highlands, right? Talking about how, look, certain zip codes in, in Beverly Hills and in, you know, whatever the super exclusive zip codes if you don't belong to one of three firms, don't even bother. And we all know each other. We all know who's a player and who's not. And if you're just some random Keller Williams agent say, coming and saying, I have a buyer, it's like, nah, your, your phone call's not getting returned. It's just, it is what it is, right? But we dealt with it. We were cool with it because it's like a tiny, tiny, tiny part of the overall market, right? Clear cooperation became an issue when that tiny practice spread, right? Because of the internet, because of technology, and agents started realizing, you know what, Zillow exists, all this, you know, internet exists, so I'm going to take this uh, random, you know, uh, whatever, three-bed, two-bath house in a subdivision, and I'm going to do pre-marketing and then start doing this exclusive networks, and you know what, it really works well, I benefit, I get a lot of buyers added to my database, you know, I start building up this little network of my friends and other people double-ended maybe, right? I think that's when it became a real problem. Well, again, I think overall, though, the exasperated by the supply, right? Yeah. Because now those things were more coveted. There was less of them. Again, I I mean, I've had, you know, we talked about before, Vendor Alley's been around for 15 years. And and I I go back and read my kind of post about pocket listings. And I've always been the same thing. It's like, oh, here, we're flaring up again. Everybody wants to do pocket listings. And then, you know, just as soon as the market turns, you know, it does, you know, they're back back on MLS again. I mean, this is either going to be... Okay, so let's talk about that. Okay. Okay. One of the things I remember during the depth of the, of the collapse, right? So probably around 2010, 2011 tight time frame, right? When it was really in the trough. There were a lot of attempts to get a buy side MLS going, right? Because the tables had completely turned. And then it became about, I have this buyer, right? Who's a cash buyer who's, who actually has financing lined up. 
and I want to be exclusive, and now I want to, you know. So there was an attempt back then to talk about an exclusive buyer network, right? Right. Why wouldn't we see that happen if the markets turn? So we go from exclusive inventory to exclusive buyer networks. And now all the top agents who have the top, you know, pre-qualified buyers who are all going to get together. Okay, we have all the buyers. We control the buyers. If you want to sell your house in the next year, right? then you want to list with me because guess what? I've got all the buyers locked up. Why don't we, I mean, it feels like that would happen instead of what you're saying where we're just going to go back to, you know what, here's the listing. We're just going to sell it, you know, give it to everybody in the MLS. I think the reasons why these two little, these two big swaths of the pendulum haven't happened because the, it's been a tighter time frame between a buyer and seller market where those really could not be formed Everything. Mm-hmm. It's like we talked about before, where I see a lot of vendors who are focusing on like, oh, um, I have a product that, that handles multiple offers. Right. That's that's great, and that's a and I think that's a great feature. But you, if you're building your whole product on the value proposition that handles multiple <laughs> offers, when this thing flips, you're going to be holding just nothing, right? So, right. I don't, you know, <laughs> you have to. That's be a really for- good point, Greg. <laughs> I mean. So yeah, we can we can do all these things, but again, it's been an exact. And I think you talked to, to Steve about this too. It's like, you know, the, the federal government has been doing a lot of things wrong, but you know they've been printing money. Mm-hmm. Um, and supply has gone down. Now, supply wasn't the wasn't really the fault of the federal government. It was, it was exasperated by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have these these forces. It, just, it seemed like we might have gone more to. A, more steam and more steam to kind of uh, be more a uh, shortage on the the supply side. So, um, I, again, I just I, I still go back to it's going to flip, and these clear cooperation things are just going to go away. But mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm I'm wrong every time along. This is going to you know going to be too bad. If we knew the exact timing, we would be doing something else. You know, oh, that's yeah. how they got it. If we knew the timings of some of these things, I'd be I'd, I'd be starting a private equity fund and raising a bunch of money. So, oh man, what a what a week indeed. Um, oh my god! So listen, sure. I mean, look when you, when you're a T3, I would love for you know to just kind of hear like how the leaders, you know, because that T3 yeah. is really kind of leadership of the industry. Like, I'd love to know what their thinking is. You know, like yeah, do they no, feel I, like I, their I, companies I, I, are ready? Right? How much time do they need to make the transition if something happens? I would love to kind of. No, you know, like kind of what you pick up, you know, from the from the bars, because it's where the lobby, man, lobby con is where all the action is. So, you know, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to having those conversations. And I will I mean, um, I, you know, I've been traveling, so I've been time to kind of listen to more podcasts. And I would recommend if if anybody hasn't subscribed or listened to um, your your uh, conversation with Steve Murray was fantastic. It was a great one. Uh, yeah. I, I learned a whole hell of a lot um, about brokerages and the way yep. that. They view teams yeah. and the way the market is, but um, I would recommend anybody. And you know what? I, I I always had this impression of Steve Murray for a long time, and then I saw him at Gathering of Eagles, and like he is just a uh, you know a non pretentious, mm-hmm. smart, has experienced guy, and, mm-hmm. and just you know a good a, a good soul, right? And yeah. uh, I'd recommend anybody just if if you can go listen to that podcast because yeah. you guys have. I learned a hell of a lot about the brokerage industry and way things yeah. are and like teams and everything. So uh, couldn't give me a agree plug. with you more. 
Yeah, yeah. couldn't agree with you more. And Steve is one of those guys. Like, I don't necessarily agree with him on everything, but man, the weight of the wisdom, the experience, yeah. like, that man has really seen it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He really has. So he keeps me really humble. And I, I just, okay, you know what? I need to learn, learn yeah. from my elders, you know, so yeah. I got it. So, hey, I know uh, we got to wrap up here. Um, we didn't pitch our thing. So, hey, you know what? We were over 100. But if you, if you stay with us this long, consider coming over to YouTube and uh, giving us a subscription on our on our Bang channel. that like button. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah. All yeah. of that. Um, and uh, yeah, man, this is this is fun. And let's. Uh, I can't wait to have this sort of follow up after you're back next week. I think yeah. it'll be really cool. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Man. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>